Hello, and welcome back to Rehydrate. This season, we will be reading and discussing Isaac Asimov's Foundation Trilogy. This is Season 6, Episode 8, Arcadia, covering Part 2, Chapters 7 to 14 of Second Foundation by Isaac Asimov. The hosts all have varying levels of knowledge of this book in this series. My name is Dan, and I've only read up to this point. My name is Talia, and I've read up to this point, as well as The Gods Themselves, which is also by Isaac Asimov. My name is Priya, and I have read up to this point in the series, and I have also watched the full first season of the TV show. A couple items before we get started. Um, I did introduce a new feature on the Rehydrate website. So I was trying to get a low friction way of people just giving us like kind of feedback of saying like, they like the show, or they don't like the show. So I basically just introduced like an emoji uh, picker on on each page of the website. So if you like the show or listen to it or don't like the show, just go to the website, click one of the emojis, and it'll just let me know. There's no analytics. To basically, just have like logs so I can see if like people are clicking it or not. So like, there's no privacy implications. You don't have to sign in or anything. It's really just go to a page, click click a, a smiley face or a frowny face, and that's it. So this, this is an experiment I'm trying to see, you know, how how, how people are liking the show. So uh, it's up there on rehydrate.space. And I also wanted to just kind of give another recommendation to the shows we've been listening to um, these days. Uh, again, uh, we have uh, Mind Duck Books now. Uh, they renamed themselves, who uh, just finished the uh, Remembrance of Earth Past trilogy and had a, um, a different take than I did on Death's End. They didn't like it as much as I did. And actually, like it seemed like they really liked the second book the most, which pretty interesting um so it's always good to hear different perspectives on that book and you know i'd love hearing more people talk about that book and i would listen to pretty much any podcast that um that discussed them so yeah anyway recommend listening to them and again selden crisis who i discovered kind of recently uh, had just put out their newest episode about the, the sorry the first half of the second foundation book, but the mule They've done really well as usual with his voices and production quality. De- I definitely recommend people check that as well. And I know Priya, you'd listen to it as well. Yeah. I, I recently listened to um, a couple of episodes. Um, I love that he had a take on the show, which was um, actually very similar to mine, but of course like way more in depth uh, based off knowledge of the books and a lot of his perspectives I share. So those episodes were definitely worth checking out for those who have read the book. And um, of course, like the, the uh, dramatic readings and voices uh, and music, ele- musical element to it um, are something I enjoyed too. So I look forward to listening to more episodes. And um, there's also some great like historical context and literary analysis in there, which um, is right up my alley as a former English major. So I really enjoy it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I didn't listen to the TV one just because like you know, spoilers, but <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have only listened to the story episodes that he has because, like, I'm afraid that like there's gonna be non, you know, up to the well, not yes. story stuff up to that point. So I'm just gonna hold off until I finish. <laughs> there, there's definitely um, spoilers. Yeah, a lot of them. So don't, <laughs> don't listen to those if you haven't watched the show. Yeah, there was another podcast that he had recommended called Star's End. Um, and I listened to like the first half of, or not even the first half, like the first couple minutes. And like, then I started getting like a, my my uh, spoiler sense started tingling. And I was like, ah, no, I'm out. <laughs> like, I'll listen to it later. Good <laughs> but you. it seemed good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so once I, once I have a chance to listen to that one, you know, I could probably recommend that too. Because, yeah, the Southern Crisis uh, host had recommended that. 
I'm surprised, Dan, you were looking over that article of the next season's cast list because I was like, is that not sp- too spoilery for Dan? Like, <laughs> uh, I, I think I was, I don't think that, um, that names people, names of people in the cast would be particularly a spoiler. I mean, maybe we would put spoiler okay, for the TV show, not. right? Like, like if the mm-hmm. mule happens to show up, I guess that would be a big spoiler, but we already know about the mule, right? And so that was kind of yeah. just looking for characters I recognized and I recognized only a couple. So I guess we won't talk about it because maybe it's spoilers for the TV show people, but there's a new I cast I saw a few that. things in there that I thought were spoilery, but I think I require like the context of having watched the show to feel like they're spoilery. So maybe yeah, yeah. to someone who hasn't seen it, it's not. But yeah, yeah there's there's spoilers everywhere. <laughs> I was basically just looking for the mule. <laughs> I was like, oh, if the mule's going to be on it, that'll be, maybe I'll be into it. But I mean, I'm sure he'll show up eventually. He seems to be a huge part of this series. So, All right. Well, to talk about the history of this particular section of the book. So looking at it, it seems like it was split up. The part two of this, of Second Foundation, was split into two, three parts in three different magazines, uh, spanning from November 1949, December 1949, and January of 1950, all in Astounding Science Fiction. So I'll link all those in the uh, in the show notes. And again, like the, it has really interesting illustrations. And it's just cool to look back how it was like originally published uh, and has like yeah, it's just a little bit different from the books. So I definitely recommend uh, going to check that out. Yeah, I was going to say the exact same thing, Dan. I usually just um, acknowledge and skim them when they come up when we record these podcasts. But this week, I was fortunate enough to actually comb through that archival production. And it really, I'm not particularly historically minded myself, like any more than the average human. But it was really cool to see it as it would have appeared in 1949. The illustrations are tasteful and you know, of a different style than we usually are. We're bombarded with images every day, but these are distinct. Uh, so I would also recommend them. Yeah. And I, I really like the some of the illustrations for um, Foundation and Empire, the last book. Um, <laughs> like the, they look a little bit different. Like they had like illustrations of the mule and Chanis uh, and they look, the mule especially looked much older and different than I expected mm-hmm. him to look. Um, but they had, they had some really cool illustrations of like the, the showdown well, older and, than and he Rossum. expected to look i think the mule says like he was 30 not old but he felt old yeah 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 and the the picture that they drew make him look like a super old man like, like 60s like an yeah. old geezer definitely right. <laughs> a face only a mother or beta could love <laughs> all right well let's go into the summary for this part of second foundation Decades after the Second Foundation halted the mule's desire for the conquest of the galaxy, the new first speaker speaks with a student entering the speakerhood apprentice program about the reality of Selden's plan. The Second Foundation and its speakers are required to continually update and achieve the ultimate goal to prepare the galaxy by rule by mental scientists. However, the mule and the First Foundation's knowledge and reliance on the Second Foundation to fix problems has thrown the planet to disarray. They've taken drastic actions to try to course correct but much to their dismay, the current plan has the chance to be destroyed by just a single individual. On Terminus, the granddaughter of Beta Durrell, a 14-year-old girl named Arcadia Durrell, is using her new voice transcriber to write a report on the history and future of Selden's plan when she's interrupted by a strange man at her window. That man is named Pelas Anthor, who is a student of the late professor Cleese, of whom Arcadia's father was also a colleague has come in secret to deliver the news that he has found several high-ranking officials with measured brainwaves that fit a pattern of having been meddled with by the Second Foundation. A small group of conspirators agree to send Homer Mun, a librarian and expert of history of the mule, 
to Calgan under the guise of research, but in reality to find out more information about the second foundation. Unbeknownst to them, Arcadia has planted a secret transcriber in their room and heard about the whole plan. She later secretly sneaks onto Homer's ship and stows away to join him on his trip to Calgan, much to Homer's great surprise when he discovers her on the ship in route. Calgan, now ruled by a military leader named Lord Stetton, who has assumed the mule's title or first citizen of the Union, and is joined by his mistress, Lady Kalia. Lord Stetton has desires to form a second empire with himself and the Calganian navy leading the charge. Stetton, persuaded by Kalia, who herself was persuaded by Arcadia, agrees to let Homer into the mule's palace with the expectation that he would help guide them to conquer the galaxy. Arcadia, as she likes to be called, is initially pleased with the progress of her scheming, but things quickly unravel when Stedden makes his intentions clear about holding Homer captive and wanting to use the famous name of Arcadie's grandmother to lend legitimacy to his claim to the lead the Second Empire. Lady Kalia overhears this and takes quick action to help Arcadie escape the palace and tells her to return to Terminus to warn them of the impending war. At the last moment, Arcadia believes she sees something in the lady's eyes and believes her to be from the Second Foundation. What's more, she believes it is too dangerous for her to return to Terminus to warn them because she is now now the only one aware of the location of the Second Foundation. So the characters in this section were Arcadia Darrell, a.k.a. Arcady, as she liked to be called, the 14-year-old granddaughter of Beta Darrell, Peleus Anthor, student of Professor Cleese and expert of encephalography, Dr. Torin Darrell, Dr. Darrell, um, Arcadia's father, Holy, the Daryl's maid, the first speaker, the new first speaker, a successor to the first speaker that took down the mule, the student, as he's known, the second foundation student of the Selden plan, Professor Cleese taught both Dr. Daryl and Anthor about encephalography, Homer Munn, librarian, student of Maliana, Lord Stettin, a.k.a. Poochie, current ruler of Calgan, current first citizen of the Union, former naval general, and Lady Calia mistress of Lord Stetton. All right. Well, let's just talk about first impressions of these and just general impressions of this part of the book. Yeah. So to jump right in, I thought that we have seen a lot of jumps of time periods all the way from the beginning of the Foundation Trilogy, but I think it was it's getting more and more artfully done and more graceful. So in this one, we have a lot of successors, but it's, again, it's like recognizing old characters. We get biological and political successor. We get the mule's replacement after his dramatic and then anticlimactic. And uh, we get Beta's granddaughter, who's just as smart and sassy as she was. So that feels easy to connect with. And even the first speaker, we meet him training his successor and learning that he's just called that because his predecessor is called the first speaker. So I thought it was handled. It was a very easy transition into this section. Yeah. I think after the first, after the first book, like things have been a lot more cohesive, I guess, like in history, like we still span of a great period of time, you know, and since it's been like what, 300 and something years since, since the time of the first book, but since Selden's plan, right. I think this says 300 something years anyway. So mm-hmm. like in the, in the first book, like it seemed like every other part was kind of just changing characters wholesale. There, there was no kind of relation to the other characters. But then like as we got into the second book and now the third book, there's been a lot of like continuation of of characters and like they, they even like referencing Mallow here. And like I, I love the Arcades, um 
that her, her report that kind of gave like an overview of like, oh, here's what happened after now. Yeah. I love her quoting Mallow. Like previously on foundation, uh, here's like this whole the whole thing that happened, right? Literally, but it doesn't feel like exposition. It just feels very natural. Yeah, and it's it's a really clever device to like show like how it's, you know, originally like oh, it's just a cool thing. Like they're they're transcribing, you know, her words, right? It's kind of like a little future invention that the thing, but it becomes like a super important plot device that this thing can record voices, right? Uh, so I thought that that was a really cool way to kind of introduce that concept it had to go off but it was still satisfying every time it did um, <laughs> oh also as yeah. we were my first general impression as we were recapping the summary of this episode when the second foundation has discovered that you know to their dismay one individual can undo their plan it actually reminded me of the 2014 microsoft security breach it made the news because a five-year-old worked out this vulnerability on xbox live I can't remember the exact details, but I'm pretty sure if you just pressed spacebar like four or five times, it let you into any account. Um, it was like a huge, <laughs> huge security vulnerability. And I was just chuckling thinking about it. That's what this reminded me of. How about you, Priya? How did you, what do you think of this, this part? You know what it reminded me of now that Talia brought in a comparison from the outside world it reminded me of that scene i think in the fifth harry potter book where they have like the ears listening in on conversations <laughs> um i don't know just just kind of the juvenile nature of the of the scheming behind it just reminded me of that but um harry potter fans will know what i'm talking about I have a new theory, um, which I kind of jotted down in the notes at the end, but I'll say it now, um, because uh, it's something that Dan asked during the last the last podcast episode that we recorded of um, if we have any if we have any thoughts on who the the narrator might be. And I'm wondering now if it's uh, if Arcadia is the narrator because you you see that she is interested in becoming like she's like an aspiring writer um and she wants to tell the history of uh the foundation and um these tales like she's a storyteller by nature so there was one moment right before the first speaker and the students start talking where the narr narrator says something about how um, we just wouldn't be able to understand how they communicate without using words. For So for the purposes of this, we will just assume that they are speaking. And somehow the tone of that later made it later to me sounded similar to the tone that Arcadia always has when she tells her like dramatic retellings of like his historical events. So um, that's that's what triggered that theory in me. But um, overall, I really enjoyed her sections in particular that there's this like sassy bright young woman who is kind of following in her grandmother's footsteps in some way by kind of charting her own course so that's something I enjoyed but of course there was um uh the way that Kalia is is painted at least initially that kind of like just pulled me out of that feeling but yeah well we'll get to that <laughs> what were your general impressions Dan so I, just to kind of build on what Priya was saying, like as I was reading it, I was thinking about Priya's reaction because <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. uh, that that first thing that you pointed out when um, when uh, Doctor Durrell and uh, and Anthor were talking about her afterwards, like, oh, you got to shoot her husband or whatever, and her future husband. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> I was like, Priya's not gonna like that because I didn't like it. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty bad. 
you know what's funny? I read that part like a couple weeks ago when I started reading this and that part kind of ticked me off. And then I read some of the things that that our our good friend Poochie here had to say about <laughs> Kalia. And that made me totally forget all the horrible stuff that was said about Arcady because I was like, this is way worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Poochie uh, there is not, not such a great guy. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, th- I thought like, because um, before it was revealed that um that that the, the lady Kalia was was a second foundation or she's kind of manipulating the situation by acting that way i was like pretty annoyed with her character i'm like do we really need like this this kind of character in here and i was also thinking that that, that you would pick up on that and not really not like that character um because I, I did not like that 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 kind of like stereotype of just like a kind of trophy trophy mistress i guess even though she's described as not being particularly attractive you know like uh, that's think- like an additional blow blow. yeah like like she's just like uh like not only is she annoying and submissive and he gets to talk to her however he wants to but on top of that we should add that she's also not very attractive like i was like what like why are they doing this character so dirty like why (laughs) yeah i I was thinking of the in 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 the in the Game of Thrones series, there's the the character that um, Bruce Bolton marries. Like she, he only marries her. Like she's known to be like, like really overweight, and he only marries her because like she's overweight, and like they get like the amount of gold in her weight or something. So I was thinking like maybe oh, yeah. there's something something <laughs> like that to it, you know? Like there's some kind of parallel, but yeah, it's totally different. <laughs> well, he kind of described it right. Like uh, I'm skipping ahead here in our notes, but he said. Well, I'll just skip ahead to the part where I wrote, uh, does anybody else feel like punching Poochie in the face for choice <laughs> quotes such as she was a soft, empty headed thing, comfortable to the touch with a pliable affection that was con- that was a convenient facet to a hard life. So like he's almost like, oh, she's soft, like, you know, she's chubby and soft. But like, I like that because I have a hard life. Like, yeah, it's just so gross and uh Icky. <laughs> and just just the way she he generally treats her like you know when she comes to the room like you know i especially like the end part is like the only thing that you can do is like turn around and like i can see your back and that's the only thing that you can do for me so gross yeah um but i guess overall like you know i i i really like the section as well like uh i don't know that i liked it as much as the the mule sections so far like i did like it a lot but like I think like the the first part of this book is my favorite of of all of them so far, and that still holds. Like, actually, like I I, I read this part. I, I read this this part like two weeks ago, and you know, for people who don't maybe know, like we record the podcast every two weeks, and so like I I read this the section like pretty much right after we recorded, and I read it, and I was like, well, I can't move on, but I want to read more, so I ended up like rereading the the first section again because I loved it so much, and I yeah, that the whole section is great. But anyway, for this section. I thought like the only part that I I didn't like when I first read it was the kind of over over explanation of the brainwave stuff. Like it seemed like it's just a little bit too much. Like that part could have been condensed a little bit when they like go on and on and on about about like his time there. And maybe it's because I I actually listened to that part on audiobook, but when I read it, it didn't seem to drag on as long. But otherwise, like especially like the last chapter of this section was great. I have a note for that also later on, but like the way they had like 
I can't think of a better word for it, but like cinematography of that last chapter of like, they start with Polly and they kind of shift over to Darrell's point of view and they shift over to Arcady. Like you just really picture in your mind of like the camera kind of like panning, mm-hmm. you know, to the perspectives of these different characters. So yeah. And there's like lots of twists at the end there. And so, yeah, definitely this, the, this is a great section as well. We always end in a perfect section. Like I'm always yeah. curious and I want to read more. <laughs> And actually, like in the original one, it's split into three. So, like the this part kind of happens in the middle of the second one. So, I'm That's interested so to see surprising. this. Yeah, like this seems like a like a cliffhanger, right? Mm-hmm. Like so again, I didn't do anything besides like divide it in three three equal parts <laughs> for the whole book. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see it like all maybe part like the plan, Dan. It's all yeah. Zelda's plan. Yeah, so I wonder, like halfway through, like the next section of the, you know the, the last episode, if there's gonna be a big cliffhanger, and then we're gonna go. Well, we'll see. I guess. Yeah, the, the this part I, I generally enjoyed. I agree that I I generally enjoyed the parts with the mule more. Um, I feel like there were parts that kind of really dragged in this section, like like some of the in depth, like you know little technical details that they go into um, kind of dragged for me that meeting between those dudes with um, Arcady's dad. That was a slow bit for me too. I, I, I did enjoy the parts with Arcady and as you were saying, the cinematography of how the plot moves um, that was done pretty well in this section. Um, but I think it just doesn't have the same intrigue as the mule does because that was like a, like a variable anomaly that that we were um, wanting to see how it unfolds. Whereas this is more of like, you know, there's more exposition in this part and a new character that we're kind of, you know, going along the ride with. So I wanted to get your feedback, Priya, because I know that you were concerned um, during the first book about basically Asimov painting himself into a corner, like everything has to happen according to the plan. And it seems like that really pulls a 180 here in this theme that I think is repeated a lot, especially in this section of them like pulling back a curtain and saying like, well, of course, we know a lot more than Harry Seldon did. Like there's a hundred of us and we've lived a lot longer and we lived later. So that's the real plan is we keep adding to it. So does that feel cheap to you that they were able to reveal like that? Or does that feel like a natural continuation? Um, do you still feel like we're painted into a corner? A little bit. I still do feel that way because, um, I mean, it cannot, it can't be as obvious as just like a series of, um, a series of wins for the foundation and like there's no conflict or, um, uh, anomaly introduced in there, but I still generally feel like, the foundation is still set up to win just now after a series of unexpected adversities and um, unknown conflicts. Um, But I, I, even if you know the outcome, it's the story is at a point where you can still go along for the ride and you can enjoy it because you want to see how the author will present you with a conflict and write his way out of that conflict. So I think that in that sense, like, it's not hitting upon that corner so much, if that even makes sense. Like, I know that's like a bit of a convoluted way of thinking about it, but I think that with more interesting characters added and... Um, it's like more forgivable. Uh, Everything. Yeah, forgivable. exactly. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. But they also changed the entire 
the end game of the plan, right? Like before, I think we, I mean, I assumed that the end game was that the foundation would just kind of take over control of the galaxy, right? Like, and like you'd have like these series of wins, but the actual end game is that the mental scientists take over control of the galaxy. And then the foundation, the original first foundation is there just to kind of support them with technology, but like, they're going to be more of like the underlings, but like they're just conditioning the whole galaxy to like get ready to be, to be prepared to, to be ruled by uh, mental scientists. They're just kind of laying that groundwork. And I think like the series of wins like are only there because like the second foundation is, is, is there like moving, moving the line, you know, on the path towards them winning like they could see it like kind of diverging a little bit and they have to like readjust the plan to to make it you know more aligned so they that would be the ultimate goal so i think the the plan is a little more interesting i think in that regard uh because it's not just a static thing that selden developed 300 years ago and they were just going to follow that that predetermined path but it's actually mm-hmm. just like a group of mental scientists like manipulating the whole galaxy to get to the point where they're ruling the galaxy without everyone even knowing it I also think that another interesting uh, development in recent uh, chapters is that um, from the conversation between the student and the first speaker, we learn that the student has this concern that the members of the first foundation have basically become kind of like too laid back in a sense. So like that kind of introduces the anomaly of like, well, are they trying hard enough, you know? And that also becomes like a, you know, like, like they're a different type of people now than the original founders of the foundation. So that also introduces like a new element of difference that may not have been anticipated initially. So that I would be interested to see how that plays out because like ultimately it, stands to be seen how second foundation is to interact with first foundation so um like that that kind of intrigues me yeah so i think over the course uh, i as i was reading this i'm like trying to think of like what's going to happen in the future and like what are some of the things so one of the things that just popped into my mind and it's based off this one paragraph um and you know a lot of people talk about like where the second foundation is and like there's some some secret to it right um, so the quote that I that that made me think about this is um, uh, kind of early on. I think it's in the second chapter, I guess chapter eight or whatever. The, the first the first chapter when the second foundation is talking, uh, the quote is in a manner similar to the speculation of of ancient ancient races in the primitive prehistoric days before technology had come to be, before man had spread beyond a single now unknown world. So that world is Earth. So my theory is that the second foundation is on Earth. Like, I don't know if that's true, but like, that's like, that would be a pretty big twist, right? Because like, they have this unknown, like he set it up way back in foundation that like the earth is like an unknown thing now and like no one knows about it. And so what better place than than earth, than a place that people forgot about entirely is important than this for the second foundation to kind of set up shop on. So that was my my crazy theory. I liked your other theory about the identity of Dr. Daryl. Oh yeah. So that's, that's another thing is like, I don't really have a theory for it. I think there's just something fishy going on with him. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, he's not what he seems, right? Yeah, Something like, like uncanny Valley about him. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that wasn't my theory. I'll, I'll, I'll let it, I'll leave it to, to you guys. But like, I, I just had more of an open-ended question of, I don't think some, something's off with him. Like mm-hmm. I was originally thinking he's a second foundationer possibly, but I like the other theory that, uh, that someone wrote in there. 
Wait, I wrote that as a joke. Oh, did you? I think it's a good theory. <laughs> really? That he's a robot? Like he's he's artificial intelligence? I have I... been on high paranoia ever since we keep getting fooled. And you're like, didn't you ever wonder why you took care of me when I was just a clown? And I was like, oh man, I should have been so much more suspicious. And yeah. then we're like, oh, <laughs> didn't you ever notice that you're working harder than you should? I was like, I didn't even know that was a symptom. So now I have to be on high alert. So I supported that theory. And the reason I supported that is when I reread the section, when he was looking at the brainwave records from Anacreon, it states to all but Daryl, there were so many quivers on parchment, but to Daryl, they shouted with a million tongues. So is he just an expert scientist or does he like in a snow crash where people can read QR codes in their mind? So is he something more? Mm. By the way, everyone should read Snow Crash and Neil Stevenson. It's great. Maybe he's a cyborg. Exactly. Yeah, I think we've cracked this. This was a <laughs> figured it out. called Crazy Theories. So yeah. conspiracy I, theories are welcome here. There's something happening. If like he's just like turns out to be just a normal guy by the end of this book, I'll be very surprised, right? There's something happening with him. He His is reactions the are of you know Arcadia. So how could he be normal? <laughs> yeah, and then like the, the whole kind of mystery behind how why he quit and like he gave like a kind of weird explanation of like oh i just didn't it was too sad to work for the 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 professor right i don't know i don't buy it he seems pretty aloof is what i would say like yeah. a little bit like unemotional and that's where i got the, this my my crazy theory of him being a robot from but i like half joking half maybe not anymore since you guys took it seriously joking <laughs> yeah. there, there was that whole section of like when polly is like talking about like the calganians and like how she lost her son or husband or something and the wars and like how they're, they're ruining the galaxy and the doctor's like huh <laughs> like i wasn't even listening to her like uh that was really funny but yeah. at the same time it was also like I, I felt like it was almost a moment where, oh, look at this woman. She's just like rambling on and on and on. And this man can't even be bothered to listen to her. Um, that's how I read that scene. But now, now I'm rethinking it through the lens of him being, of something being wrong with him. Other than the fact that he's just being a dude, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe he's just, just an aloof professor, you know, doctor of whatever he is. Yeah, you two uh, and... are so generous in your like readings of the <laughs> characters and humans. Like, how could he say something like, just the best thing you can do is just turn your back? Like, I feel like I tell that to my partner like once a week. I'm just like, like the best <laughs> thing you can do is just like turn around and shut up. <laughs> well, that, well, that that seems normal, but like based off the context of everything surrounding that, like the way that he's been talking to her and of her and like his inner monologue almost that we're hearing about her. It just, that that's what makes a statement like that. So jarring. But like, if it was like, if it was, if it was something that, um, beta and, uh, Torin was that his exactly. name? They're like always other? roasting each other. Yeah, yeah, that would be like a like a fun loving kind of roast, but this was like a I hate this guy kind of moment. I see, I see. <laughs> and you know, and he had basically zero reaction to like the knowledge that Arcadia is on a you know stowed away on a ship, right, and like left into a potentially dangerous situation. Like I understand like his ultimate motivation of like not doing it, not not like you know calling for help or whatever. But like he should have had some reaction. Like oh man, my you know my only daughter is you know in a very potentially dangerous situation so there's something yeah, coming up with him 
And oh my God, Dan, when I was, uh, when you, when we talked about this before I had read this section, you told me that it's going to remind me of another, (laughs) of another story or book that I had read. And then when I got to that chapter and the chapter is called stowaway, I freaked out because I, I knew that the stowaway would be arcadey even like as soon as i started that section like without even reading the first line of that chapter i was like arcadey's gonna be the stowaway and please 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 let let it not be the same story as the (laughs) short story the cold equations because the cold equations is a very very horrifying story with a horrifying end yeah and that is not the end that i wanted for arcadey so yeah. I'm glad that it did not turn out that way. I feel like if Amin <laughs> were on this show, he would be telling us, though, that like the intrepid child stowing away is like a trope. <laughs> like they have to get to the dangerous place, even though the adults shouldn't allow them. Like um, Lyra and his dark materials, um, Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, like they're all hiding and stowing away. I think it's because Priya and I had talked about that book on a couple of occasions. <laughs> so like the, uh, yeah. And v- like, I, like you said, like the title is called Stowaway. And I was like, oh man, here we go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a short story called The Cold Equations, Talia. You should read it. It's it's on my list. I mean, I recall it's pretty grim. The, yeah. I it, recall from the episode we discussed it. So yeah, we should also, if you check out rehydrate.space, we do have the recommendations of the hosts and we have great taste. You can uh, write a little emoji to us and read our opinions. I agree about our great taste. Mm-hmm. I agree about your guys' great taste. I don't know about mine. It's because you haven't read Harry Potter, Dan. Maybe. That might be it. That, that I cannot speak <laughs> to your great taste. It'll unlock the <laughs> uh, my, So my last theory is it's more, it, it's around the interactions between Arcadia and Lady Kalia. And I don't know. I got like the sense that like that Arcadia is maybe overthinking it and maybe she's not really a second foundation or maybe she doesn't really know the location of the second foundation. I don't know. Uh, just the the way that I, I can't even describe why, but I just got like this feeling that like it's not what we see. It's not what it seems, right? Like she maybe thinks it's that way. And it kind of makes sense in the context that she is because, you know, she's been potentially manipulating a situation, you know, and like, you know, through her mental control. I don't know. There's something, there's something more to it. Um, I think. And the only thing that really struck me was that like Arcadia is kind of just making this up in her mind as like a, a grand adventure. And like, she's the sole person that knows about all this stuff. Uh, she knows the location of the second foundation, but she's kind of, kind of building it up in her mind. I think. Um, I, I don't know if, if you had any similar thoughts around that. I actually got very confused by that last sentence in the chapter where um, she suddenly comes to this realization that she is the only person who knows the location of the second foundation. But I didn't read that as as like a fantasy on her part because earlier there's this moment where she says she has an observation that you think is just her being like a naive little girl who reads too many stories and books which is when she has that interaction with uh lady kalia and she says she knew well from the books she had read that a ruler's mistress was the real power behind the throne. And judging by the way that Kalia was presented as dimwitted, I doubted that assessment as Arcady being naive. But then at the end, she kind of turns out to be right. So 
I think at that point I was like, I had a newfound like trust in Arcady's intuition. So at the end, when she comes to this realization that she knows where a second foundation is, I bought it. Like I was like, oh, wow, she does. But why? And did I miss that while I was reading? Should I know where second foundation is now? And did I just miss that? But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, I, I thought that was a serious like pivotal turning point versus her just being like all in her head as she normally is. Like you were saying, like the fact that she reads all the stories and like knows the story, historical stuff and like she has kind of, you know, delusions of grandeur, not even delusions, but just like visions of grandeur, right? Like going on this like trip and like figuring out the second foundation. Uh, I just see it kind of building up in her mind. I mean, it's, it's definitely possible that she kind of caught a glimpse because uh, like it says like she realized that that, that Lady Kalia is from the second foundation just from like a slight glimpse. And we've seen that before too mm-hmm. with... um when the second foundation talks to each other. Uh, I, that's exactly where I was leading with that. Yeah. That's exactly where I was leading. Um, when you were speaking about like that sense, I was like, oh, speaking of an ineffable sense, let's talk about the speakers. Cause I found that such a delightful part of this section, which was not as much of a page turner as the information about the mule, but I really went back and reread and really marveled at the way that this unfolded the speakers are named and we finally get the explanation of them and they don't speak. They don't have to, they don't have to speak to communicate to each other. And it would have been enough to just write that off as science fiction does telepathy, but the way that it's communicated, I think is quite well done. And I plucked a quote um, from the first speaker when he is tutoring this student who has potential to be like him and enter this apprenticeship. And he states, to be truly effective, it is not necessary to hold the mind under a tight controlling barrier, which to the intelligent probe is as, un- as informative as a naked mentality. Rather, one should cultivate an innocence, an awareness of self, and an unselfconsciousness of self, which leaves one nothing to hide. My mind is open to you. Let this be so for both of us. And it immediately put me, and I think most readers, into the mind of the student because we are faced with the first speaker. Um, we're like basically clenching every muscle and clenching every mental muscle. And it's just instantly transparent and seen through. And the first speaker is cautioning, like, actually, that's not the way to do it. You need to like be like Neo, frankly, you need to just like relax your mind, be unselfconscious. And that's how you can communicate and penetrate into others. And I thought it was really um satisfying to get this explanation of the speakers when it didn't even need to be i think it would have been sufficient to be telepathy but i think it was so well done yeah and the fact that they developed this like not yeah like you said not telepathy but like a a form of communication just over like a really brief period um Mm -hmm. that doesn't rely on words is 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 really testament finger or looking just so yeah 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 and they, they did this in like a really short time span like it kind of you know changed their entire speech mechanism you know that way from vocalizing speech to small twitches in their in their facial expressions yeah i really like the the, also the visual uh you know like quote-unquote visual of what's it called the prime um the prime radiant prime radiant yeah yeah yeah. the prime radiant like how it's like a cube or something that just sits on a desk and it like projects the equations like on the walls (laughs) you know and like but it doesn't actually cast a shadow so it like uses some kind of weird technology to to Mm -hmm. actually do it and so they they can that's how they study the equations like 
that just seemed like a really cool visual and like you can just really picture it or i can in my mind's eye like when i'm i'm reading it of like what that room looks like and you just fill with like math equations no i think you chose the right word dan i think it was cinematography this was very visual Going back to the ending scene of this section, um, now hearing you guys talk about the telepathy elements and just like being able to speak without words. And um, I don't know if this is where you guys were going with it, but that final look that Kelia gives to to Arcady and her sense from just that look that she's a second foundationer and that now somehow Arcady knows the location of Second Foundation. Could that look have actually been her transmitting information to her without speech? Um, another, like, you know, I guess file this away under one of the crazy theories, but if she is Second Foundationer, there is a way that she could do that, right? Like, I don't know. What, yeah, what are I, your guys thoughts? I, I wonder if it's like a train thing, right? Like, cause like the student obviously can understand that form of speech, right? Um, yeah. It's, a, it's like, a craft, I think. Right. But you couldn't just like, like if the theory is that like Arcadia is a second foundationer and like, maybe that's a theory. I don't know. But like she wouldn't have had experience. There's like nothing in her brain, particularly that in people's, it doesn't like, it's not a mutation in the brain. It's more of a learned skill. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That they have to like, control these things. So like, you couldn't just like be a secret, even to yourself, second foundationer. Uh, it didn't seem like it's a like a midichlorian kind of situation where she's like born with the the ability to uh, to decipher glances. True, true. I was just wondering if she could have like, can they like implant a thought into the mind of someone who is not trained in? like communicating that way like like that's where my brain went but i guess mm. maybe not maybe maybe that's not that. possible i didn't get that sense because i i honestly felt when i when i read the ending that i had missed something like i had like glazed over some section that explains why this happened like this and that maybe i need to reread <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah maybe like Lady Calia is from the Second Foundation and she implanted the idea that she's from the Second Foundation in her mind and where the Second Foundation is. Um, or maybe the false idea of where it is, the same way that they they changed um uh Chanis to think that the Second Foundation was on Rossum. So maybe like they're manipulating her. I don't know. <laughs> it gets really confusing with all this mental manipulation. You don't know who is who, right? Yeah, it's just that like what was that look of amusement that Arcady um caught? Yeah. In her eye. Like, what was the amusement about? Like, I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. Why amusement? That's a, yeah. I, I, that struck me too. Like, why that particular emotion? Right. Like, Cause she the, went from like fearing for her life. And I felt like that fear was legitimate that she was afraid yeah. of what, um, what Stetton would do to her upon finding out that she had let Arcadia free. And then suddenly there's amusement. And then that leads me to think that I heard this whole like, everything has been an act like her whole persona has been an act which is possible like maybe she's manipulating Stetton. is that possible i don't I, know 
<laughs> oh, you mean Callie? Callie definitely is. Well, if she's a second, she really is a second foundationer. I, yeah. I, I, I read it as like she was like more concerned, not even for her safety, but for Arcadia's safety, because, you know, Stetton was like, hey, I'm going to marry her because she has a cool last name, you know, and I guess going to lend legitimacy to my my claim of being a, the emperor of the second empire, right? Uh, and she's like, well, she's only 14, but that, you know, I had my mistress when she was 16, so it's close enough. He, so he's like, so I think, gross. Yeah. <laughs> so like Callie heard that and like that's that, I think that's a horror that I I thought of and like that's why she was so concerned. That's why she like risked her own life potentially. But then to change to amusement, it's very strange. Like that's a very strange emotion to kind of pick up on. Um, like it's all an act or uh, I don't know. It's really funny that like earlier her character says something about how like, like Arcadia is like explaining stuff to her and she's like, it hurt. She basically says something like it hurts my brain to listen to explanations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like, I was like, this has to be like an act. Cause like she's playing dimwitted a little too well. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, Oh, tell me about like the traders are really big, burly men. Right. And like, <laughs> I had one last thought on um, Arcady in general because I really enjoy her. And um, I know that at times she's written to come across as annoying. Um, but I think she, I think she's just like, I, I am a mom to a very sassy young lady. So <laughs> I can really appreciate the sassiness here where um, chapter 13 begins with Arcadia saying Arcadia felt triumphant. How life had changed since Peleus Anther had struck his silly face against her window and all because she had the vision and courage to do what needed to be done. Like this is just her like giving herself like a pat on the back saying like I had the vision to do all this <laughs> stuff to become a stowaway to write a letter to my dad and that was what needed to be done and I had the courage to do it and this guy who's um who's an expert in and and philography uh he he's he, he's just like the silly faced man who appeared at my window it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like the the confidence and the sass is just it's it's wonderful yeah she kept calling him a young man when, when he was yeah, sleeping in yeah. her room <laughs> yeah I, I didn't i don't think she was ever written to be annoying or i never caught that um yeah it seemed just like more oh, of like yeah, a really self self-assured uh you know young woman mm -hmm. right well, I think I think the the annoyingness, I guess, is like how the men around her perceive her. I guess yeah. that's that's probably not how any of the readers perceive her, but but like you can tell, like the, like the sassiness is not received well by other characters, but like it's oh, just yeah. so wonderful. <laughs> Definitely, especially Anthor, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, Homer Homer seems to to like her, and you know, he genuinely genuinely con concerned, uh, you know, at uh, mm -hmm. Stetton's comment at the end there. It's also there's this really funny moment where she like makes her, she reveals herself on the ship and like the state that he's in. <laughs> you just like imagine him like sitting with his shirt off, just like chilling. <laughs> yeah. And she pops out. And then there's also like the 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 idea that as trusted of a guy as he may be, the fact that the dad has no qualms about his daughter being like alone with like a man on a ship, like that's just a little weird to me also um going back to like theories about him being weird uh yeah little but, bit, yeah not 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 super protective father there <laughs> yeah, like i don't care if it's an uncle i am not letting my kid be like alone anywhere with anybody yeah i did have one qualm that i would like to bring up about arcadia though and that's her treatment of 
Olynthius Dam. <laughs> so as a person who in my younger days would have tried to impress girls with my knowledge of technology and thinking that I can get them to appreciate me by helping them, Arcadia just totally uses him <laughs> and you know to, to build this little the little trans transcriber um, for him and then just takes it away and then kind of just eases herself away from him and then there's a really like quote like like the tendrils of her influence kind of strips strips away from his mind. So that part yeah, I, I just found like him to be a very tragic figure. Maybe it's because like I related to him. <laughs> so like that's would have been me at fourteen. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't strike other people as as a as quite as impactful. But that that's one one check against uh, Arcadia there. Like she kind of treated that that guy kind of bad, and he made fun of his name. Like there in the beginning, they're like, oh, like I, everyone has to go by A Durrell or whatever, but you can't go Oh Damn because <laughs> like that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just uh it's kind of sad i feel kind of sad for that guy i mean they did him dirty with his name alone so <laughs> i'm not sure if i've mentioned on the podcast before but my work history i used to um teach basically a software like tech boot camp i taught machine learning and the age group that i was assigned for a couple of years in a row was like the pre-college so it was like a sweet spot of 14 to 18 year old and unsurprisingly it skewed heavily male um but there were always a few girls and i remember once during the downtime you know i'd assign something and i took a picture because it was like the only girl in my class of nine that year with four boys leaning in to type on her console let me just say she always had perfect assignments <laughs> this is that, that's so that's really really funny um and poor Olynthus Dam, when he appeared in the text, I literally turned back a page and I was like, like, who this? You know, like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> <You mentioned. laughs> like, when when did this character appear out of nowhere? <laughs> like, they just gave him, they, they weren't like her classmate, Olynthus Dam, or this dude named Olynthus Dam was just like, Olynthus Dam. <laughs> I was like, we're supposed to just know who Olympus Dam is based off of this one paragraph. And then he never shows up again. And that's the end of him. So <laughs> that was hilarious. I was Asimov just having poor, having fun at poor, uh, poor Olympus Dam's expense. <laughs> at his expense. Absolutely. I wonder if that was uh, Asimov's, uh, you know, experience as well growing up. You know? I would not he, be he's, surprised. He's a smart guy. He probably like tried to help it, you know, mm -hmm. some girls interested in his engineering classes and stuff. And yeah. I'm sure nerds are just trying to be helpful. I'm sure nerds yeah. see themselves as both Arcadia and Olympus Dam at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. I am both the hero and... <laughs> As a person who had like low social skills and you know good technological skills, like that's the only thing you can really present to people to get them interested in you. But just, just from my experience, I'm interested to see what our listeners um, have to say if they agree, disagree, relate. Of course, it'll be hard to tell from one emoji, but I am still interested. Thanks for listening. Check out rehydrate.space for released episodes, the rating of this podcast the reading list, and our recommendations. On this episode, we recommended Cold Equations and Snow Crash. Leave comments by emailing us at rehydrate at fastmail.com or on Twitter at rehydratepod. Please join us next episode for the season finale, season six, episode nine, The Search by the Foundation, covering part two, chapters 15 to 22 of Second Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Mm -hmm.